Hi, Goal Achievers. Nick Polkowski here. I have a quick question for you. Can one weekend literally change your life? Well, one weekend changed the lives of over 200 people last year when they attended Hal Elrod's Best Year Ever Blueprint Live event, and Hal is doing it again this year. You can get all the details and reserve your spot at bestyeareverlive.com. Last year's event showed that one weekend truly can change your life. Since the event, Tim Cornwell has lost 42 pounds, Heidi Murray more than doubled her income, Stephen Christopher increased his revenue by over 500%, and those are just a few examples from hundreds of incredible results created by last year's attendees. Don't miss out on your chance to make 2016 your best year ever. Head to bestyeareverlive.com and register now. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elra. All right, goal achievers, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is your friend, your host, whatever you want to call me, uh, Hal Elrod, and today... The gentleman that I am bringing on is, how do I put this? He's changing my life, so that that's kind of cool. I love bringing people on. You know, sometimes I get to bring somebody on who I've looked up to and admired for years. Um, our guest today, I, I haven't known him for years, but in the last, you know, I don't know, six months, maybe about a year that I've known him, uh, he's radically changing my financial life. And so this episode is going to be about how to achieve a specific goal, and that is your financial goals. We know we've all we all have a lot of goals. We have goals in areas of health and, and wealth, and you know relationships, and uh, all of these different aspects: happiness and business, personal, professional, you name it. But every single one of us has financial goals. I would say it's pretty safe to say that if you live in America, at least, and I know we have vis, you know listeners all over the world, but uh, if you live in a in a civilized country, right, you've got probably some financial goals and some some things that you want to achieve, whether it be financial freedom, uh, or you want to be a millionaire, you know, whatever that is for you. Well, our guest today is Garrett Gunderson, and Garrett Gunderson is the founder and chief wealth architect of Wealth Factory, a company that I have hired to help me with my finances. Uh, he is a New York Times bestselling author of Killing Sacred Cows, Overcoming the Financial Myths That Are Destroying Your Prosperity. And he's personally helped countless business owners create efficient wealth strategies that fit their unique strengths. That's what I love about him. Uh, he's dedicated his career to debunking many widely accepted myths and fabrications that undermine the prosperity and joy of millions of hardworking, honest business owners. And the firm he ran before Wealth Factory called Freedom Factory was named to the Inc. 500. You may recognize Garrett from his appearances as a guest contributor on CNBC, Fox News, ABC, and many others. I've seen him speak at events. He is the man. So Garrett Gunderson, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. I don't know if people would have seen me on CNBC unless they watched me once. I got kicked off because apparently they don't like you to tell you exactly how it is. They want you to follow a certain system, but I don't do that. 
obviously with the name like Killing Sacred Cows, I'm out there to kind of call out what's really going on and help empower people. So love uh, spending some time with you. And I got to hear you speak recently. And you are the first speaker in a huge lineup to get a standing ovation. So love your energy, love what you're about and everything that you're doing. Good way to, uh, good good start to the show, Garrett. I'll have you on like once a week. That this is great. Sweet. <laughs> I like I like the start. So no, and you know what? You're you just brought something up. Um, the the way that you approach finances, you know, debunking myths and, and really kind of being truthful about it. It reminds me of. Uh, are you a fan of the movie The Matrix? I love The Matrix. Part one, part two, part three could kind of go away, but I love part one. Part part one, yeah, yeah. So well, The Matrix. You know, I I it was. I loved it as a sci-fi movie, but then years later, I saw some behind-the-scenes interviews with the you know the brothers that created it, and it, the metaphor of what the movie really meant. It was the idea that the Matrix, and if you haven't seen the movie, see the movie, and if you uh, and just follow along, you'll figure this out. But right, the, the idea is the Matrix is that all human beings were plugged in. You know, the movie was this sci-fi movie. They're plugged into this Matrix where they're fed the information, how to think, how to feel. It's not real, and it really the Matrix was in a lot of ways kind of like the government and the media, right? And yeah. we're fed these ideas of you know, for example, you go to school, then you go to college, then you get a good job, right? Well, you look at the how many millions of Americans went to school, went to college, and now they can't get a good job, or the good job they got with their college degree isn't paying them nearly enough to support themselves and their student loans have ruined them financially right so this idea of this matrix this you know the prescription industry and i you know i'm not this isn't really a controversial show in fact in the last minute it's probably the most controversy i've created on the show but the point is look what i've done to you Look what you've done to me. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're rubbing off on me. But no, the point is, but, I, but I, you know, I do feel really strongly about that we can't just follow societal norms and think that life's going to be okay because it's not. And so uh, I brought you on today to, you know, to, to the financial aspect of the matrix. Let's unplug our listeners. But before we do, who are you, Garrett? Tell us a little about you, man. You know, and, and I'll tell you, we're all born with unlimited potential. Like I really believe that, but most people settle for mediocrity. Right. Somewhere along the way, they 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 just they decide, like, I'm just going to follow the system. I'm just going to do what everybody I'm going to go to school and do what everybody tells me to do. So when did you become different? Like, what was your life like growing up? And then at what point did you decide, like, there there is more available to me in this life and I'm going to take advantage of it? Well, I started my first official business when I was 15 years old. It was a car detailing company. And I guess you'd have to even understand that I'm from a small coal mining town called Price, Utah. It's in Carbon County. Um, yes, Carbon County. So obviously leaving a carbon footprint with all the coal and everything. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I really grew up in this small town, but I started a business detailing cars because my dad is a coal miner, would bring home the surface vehicles and I would clean them up before the bosses would come into town. And my mom worked at a credit union and I would clean the repossessed vehicles so they could sell them for more. And as I started that business, I won $5,000 for being the Young Entrepreneur of the Year for the state of Utah. And where I'm from, man, that $5,000, when they handed me that check, I felt rich. I was like, man, who else just made that much money this one second, not realizing there were plenty of the people in the world making more than that. But for me, it was like, wow, I could really do something now and make something of myself. And you know, most teenagers, when they get that check, what do you think they want to do with 5000 bucks when they're 16 years old? They want to spend it. They want to buy a car. They want to buy something. Right, but I guess I was more of a financial nerd. I wanted to invest that money. That was fascinating to me, how I could grow it, how I could become wealthier with it. I wanted to make that money work, but the, the system of kind of go to figure that out was overly complicated. The more people I asked, the more confusing it became. I asked the president of the credit union. He wanted me to put it in a certificate of deposit. 
uh, that was never going to you know, grow in my mind because yeah. I was young and wanted to get rich quick still. I mean, mind you, I didn't want to do it right necessarily. I just want to get rich. Sure. And, and so I, what's funny is in all those questions, when I was finally 18 and I didn't have to have a custodian to sign off on it because my family's Italian, their money management method was put money in Folgers coffee cans, <laughs> keep it in the cellar by the olives, or maybe even hell, buried in the backyard, you know? Nice. So a little bit different. But fortunately... You know, I went through this path where when I was 18, I made a bad investment by taking $70 a month out of that, putting it into something that they promised was going to earn at least 18% a year because the stock market was blowing up in the 90s. But in reality, I was in an econometrics course in college and realized there was no chance that was ever going to work out. And that led me to a path of infinite, you know, I just was pure, purely curious, but asked tons of questions and got offered an internship. Now, an internship really meant Peddle some products like life insurance and mutual funds to your friends and family. And that was okay the first two years because the market was skyrocketing. But in 2000, when it started to go down, I didn't want to look at mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, and all the parents of my friends and say, hey, you're in it for the long haul, or the market's on sale, buy more, or dollar cost average, and all these kind of memes and cliches that people get in the marketplace. I didn't want to face that. And it was kind of this moment of truth. And instead, I told them, I don't know what I'm doing get your money out, find someone else, or wait for me to find something better. And that was a transitional moment in my life. That was transformative. And I guess there's one other thing that really shaped, if we're talking about hardships or difficulties, is in 2006, I think you heard me tell this story, where I get a phone call one morning, June 9th, 2006, early in the morning, in the middle of my miracle morning ritual. And so I'm confused, like, what's the phone doing ringing this early? And uh, when I picked it up, finally, the second round of rings, it was one of my business partners saying that our company plane had crashed mm. and two of our business partners died. And I really spent the next four months in confusion, trying to live my life for someone else's legacy, gaining weight, stopped doing my miracle morning, you know, really kind of lost sight of who I was. And fortunately, my wife called me out on that on a drive in a canyon one, one uh, weekend going to Thanksgiving with my family tell me that I was pretty extraordinary in a bunch of areas, but tell me that with my one-year-old son sitting in the back of our car, that I was an ordinary husband and father. Hmm. And that, for me, was a moment that I'll never forget and changed the course and kind of destiny for me. And I guess one last thing, even though you're like, damn, if I ask any more questions, Garrett, we're never going to get this interview. Garrett, no, 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 this is, we're two birds of a feather. I like this because I'm like, I like, I talk for hours, you know, I get asked a question and I talk for an hour. So, no, keep going, dude, don't stop. So here's, here's an insight that's very profound that I've had recently, only shared it one time before. I shared it, I guess, with my wife, and then I shared it at one event recently. But I come from this family that wasn't very entrepreneurial. I had a, you know, these, these Italian immigrants that came over to become coal miners, my great-grandfather, my grandfathers, and then even my dad, you know. And that was a pretty big risk for them. And because of that risk, they really fell into a lot of scarcity because they left with very little never going back to visit the family they left behind. And so everything was about following that system you talked about, like taking, being entrenched in the matrix, where it's like, you got to get a job, you got to work really, really hard, and you just got to save, 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 and budget, and scrimp, and, and, and defer, and delay. And it was born of scarcity. And what I know is scarcity is the greatest destroyer of wealth, because no amount of luck, 
saving, discipline, rate of return, or financial advisor can save anyone. No financial goal will even get you there if scarcity is your mantra because that destroys wealth. It has people feel entitled. It has people look to take more than they give. It's fear and doubt and worry. And so my family was stricken with scarcity at the core, almost like a mental disease. Hmm. And my grandfather was the first one to somewhat step out of that just a little bit because when he retired from being a coal miner, he still had a small business that was a TV repair shop in East Carbon, Utah, and he helped people get Zenith TVs, and they helped fix them. And then he also was in a band playing the accordion and traveled and made money to do that. So he had this entrepreneurial spirit that had started to spark and come alive. And he was the patriarch of the family. He was the glue. Like, family was everything to him. And, and I was like the first grandson, and I had a really, really tight bond and special relationship with him. But when my great aunt, his sister, got sick and was put in the hospital, this was a family that you wouldn't know had an extra dollar, but they had $550,000 sitting in the bank. Hmm. And now that she was sick, they're like, wait, this is really her money, my, my grandfather's money, and his other sister's money, all in my one aunt's name because she was the only one that didn't get married and kind of took care of her mom, who, by the way, died at 103 and never spoke an ounce of, you know, couldn't even speak a word of English, oh. <laughs> you know, my great grandma. But... But so here's what happened. I'm in college starting to become entrepreneurial, start my financial services career. My grandfather's sitting with me at the hospital saying, how do we shelter this money? Because it's all going to be taken, you know, by the government because he's going to go into long term care. And there's this whole three year look back period. But I actually came up with a killer strategy that allowed them to have kind of joint ownership and that we could avoid some of the look back period. And he was so grateful. And he said, I'm really I really think you're great at this. You really should get a job. You know, and this is 1999, and I'm, I'm offered by Merrill Lynch and Anderson and American Investment Bank. I had 11 offers coming out of college because I was still in college at the time. But by the way, Merrill Lynch got annihilated. Anderson doesn't even exist anymore after the Enron scandal. But they, my family was like, you've got to go for that security. But you know what? My grandpa just wanted what was best for me but was scared. And it was the most depressing part of my life because in college I was going – Okay, do I, do I follow my passion? Do I, do I follow this financial thing, which I really have a knack for? I'm really good at it. I really have like this photographic memory for it, and I love it. I enjoy reading things no one else wants to read. I enjoy teaching this. I think I can simplify it, but everyone is telling me, go get the jobs. Even professors at my university are like, oh, no one's had that kind of an offer. That'll be great for the university. But fortunately, I had a dean that said, no, you're making more than any of us professors. Don't take advice from us. We're making less money than you, and you're still in college. So... I actually embraced that, and I got to tell you, my grandfather, a day didn't go by in his life where he didn't grab me and tell me how proud he was of me. Mm. That was so hard to break that mold of not being an entrepreneur and choosing that path of being an entrepreneur, which was a lonely road because my mom was against it because she loved me. She wanted what was best for me. She was scared for me because of scarcity. My grandpa was scared for me to take that leap because it was different than what they had ever experienced, and they didn't want me to feel pain. They didn't want me to have failure. But the failure would have been never choosing the path that I was meant for. So anyway, that is some of the background. That's a little bit of the backstory. No, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. So when, how old were you when – so you were 15 when you started your first business, which, yep. right, I, I, I started a DJ business when I was 15. So I, I love finding commonalities with, with other people and with my guests especially. But um, how old were you when you took that venture into entrepreneurship, you know, into the financial world? I was actually – it was June of 1998, and I was 19 years old. 19 years old, 98. Yeah, so we're like the same age. Um, roughly, give nice. or take. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. 
Uh, all right, so the you know we're gonna go a little off the reservation here. I mean, this uh, I usually follow eh, somewhat of a structure with my my interview guests, but I just want to talk money with you and I want to talk finances. So let, let's just right. dive into that. What uh, what are your you know let's dive into some tips on achieving financial goals. What would you say? And I'll let you lead this. So, but 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 what I want to get to is like what are your three biggest tips for people right now in 2015 so this may or may not be evergreen depending on the advice but what are your biggest tips for people that want to become financially free they want to achieve their financial goals they want to achieve financial independence or you have a, another phrase for it that, that you can yep, yep. you can address but uh, yeah let's dive in there and if you if you want to start with the myths that need to be busted like you know, dude you're the expert let's go well let me give three principles and then three strategies if okay that great so the principles are this you are your greatest asset. Write that down. You are your greatest asset. Not a stock, not a bond, not a piece of real estate. It's you and your ability to create value. Number one. Principle number two, focus on cash flow instead of accumulation. Financial planning erroneously has people try to accumulate money, never seeing the cash flow come in and hoping that one day, someday it's going to work out. And unfortunately, along the way, it's eroded and confiscated through fees, through inflation, and through volatility, so focus on cash flow. Cash flow is the king, and if you get there, well, you know, really what we want to do is help people create economic independence where cash flow comes in every single month to cover basic expenses, because then you can swing for the fences in any other area of your life knowing that you have your foundation handled. So cash flow over accumulation is number two. And then number three is focus, don't diversify. Diversification is the mantra of ignorance. Diversification is basically admitting you don't know what's going to work or what's not going to work, so you spread yourself thin, hmm. and no one ever became wealthy because of diversification, other than financial planners that preach it for you to give you give them your you know you give them your money. So focus, don't diversify. Andrew Carnegie said, and even this guy B.J. Palmer said, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket and ensure that basket well. Watch hmm. it like a hawk. Stay with investments that you understand, that are part of your investor DNA, that you, that you get, that you have ability for, that you have some passion towards, that you understand if it would work or if it wouldn't work. And, and those three things are the first and foremost concepts that are going to make the biggest difference. So if you're your greatest asset, that means invest first and always in yourself. And that's why the miracle morning is so critical, is because it means you're investing in yourself to start the day so that you show up a better human being. I mean... I had a radio show for years, and whether it was interviewing Stephen Covey or Harbecker or whoever I brought on my show, one commonality is they did a rendition of the Miracle Morning, and that allowed them to have more effectiveness with every other minute or hour of the day. And so you got to invest in yourself, protect yourself, focus, don't diversify. So those are the principles, and I'll let you ask a question or Take a breath before I share the three strategies. Yeah, well, you know, I'll share with you, uh, or I'll just share with our with our listeners, not with you, Garrett, because you already know this. Um, but the uh, there's a few things that drew me to you. The first thing that drew me to you is uh, I somebody recommended me to you. I think might have been I'm trying to think who was the first person, but it was somebody like Jeff Hayes, you know, famous Mike filmmaker. Koenig. It was Mike Koenigs. Mike Koenigs, yes, there you go. Yep. Mike Koenigs said, "Hal, do you have someone to help you protect all this money you're making?" Uh, I said. 
not really. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a little bit afraid that, you know, what if the market crashes? What if this, what if that, right? That's fear. That, I mean, the scarcity mindset, yep. like you talked about. And uh, Mike Keenigs, uh, who, you know, he said, dude, you got to talk to this guy, Garrett Gunderson. So I was like, all right. So, you know, I reached out. And in the meantime, before we even, I think before we even talked, uh, I'm talking to Jeff Hayes, who is a famous filmmaker that I have had on the podcast on crowdfunding. I look up to this guy. I learned a lot. And he says, oh, Garrett. Yeah. You know, dude, Garrett's amazing. I've known him for a long time. So you just kept coming up. So that's the first thing I wanted to say what like really led me to you was the credibility people speak so highly of you then though once I got on the phone with you and and then eventually you know your the coaches that work with you your philosophies that you just shared and there and there were more you know more than that more depth than that but there were really realizing that you the way you approach money is different than 99.9 percent of people out there like financial advisors that you might trust with your money and then the last thing that I want to share I read a book called money by Tony Robbins right uh, money master the game and the you know i'm reading that book and it's like a, it's a 688 page book it's you know good luck if you could even get through it but i'm reading it and i'm like wow so much of this makes sense so much of this makes sense and i'm realizing this is really in line with a lot of the philosophies and things that I, that i've you know that garrett's talking about it was like right at the time that we were about to start working together and i just wanted i just wanted to say this all of the things in that book you know, which were, there's a lot of great strategies, but it's, it's too much for one person to implement. That's what's beautiful is what I'm working with you guys, you, and I don't want this to sound like a, you know, commercial for you guys, but you guys are helping me execute all of the things that I would say probably 99% of people that read a book like Tony's book, it's like, it's nearly impossible, you know, to, to, for one person to put into play. And there's so many questions that you have and all these things. And so, um, yeah, so I'm excited for you to share the philosophies or the foundation. I really am excited. I wanted to transition into some of your strategies. Cool. So here's a strategy. Um, and this is, goes back to a book that I love that I read when I was in high school called the richest man in Babylon. Yeah. And it's written in the 1920s. It's a parable and it talks about one major concept, pay yourself first. And now that, that that's a great concept. It's the right philosophy, but let me talk specifically how you do that. Everyone and anyone that's listening to this, if you go down to your bank or your credit union and you do this in the next 24 hours, set up a separate account than your personal checking or your business checking and label that your wealth capture account. And what you do is, anytime you make a deposit in your personal account, take a certain percentage of that check and have it do what's called an automatic sweep of that percentage into your wealth capture account. That wealth capture account can be a checking, it could be a savings, it could be a money market. It, it should not be an investment account. It is simply an elegant tracking system so you don't commingle your funds because what we're trying to battle here is called Parkinson's Law. Hmm. Parkinson's Law, it works with time or it works with money. What time if they say, get this done Friday by 5? When do most people get it done? Friday just before 5. 4.59, you know? yeah. Yeah, 4.59. <laughs> so, so really in money, it means if you have an increase in income, your expenses will rise to meet or exceed that increase if there's no infrastructure to capture the increase. So a wealth capture account is simply an elegant way to automatically take and transfer money to pay yourself first. This is the first critical component of building more wealth and achieving your financial objectives and goals. Then, the second thing that you do is you set up a wealth creation account. So a wealth creation account is a system that we call cash flow banking because the problem with a wealth capture account is it's a, if it's a savings account, it's earning a lot less than 1%. The earnings are you know, taxable. It's exposed if someone ever sues you or whatever, and you know, there's, a, there's not many benefits to it. 
a cash flow banking system can take that and get maybe 4% guaranteed, maybe upwards of 5, 5.5% on the money. It's tax favored. It's the same thing a bank would do if you deposited money in a bank. They would take a third of the reserves and put it to cash flow banking. So uh, you set up a wealth creation account. I don't have time to go into all the detail here, but you can go to cashflowbanking.com to learn more about this so you can enhance your savings. And then the third step or the third phase is the phase that I love because we said you're your greatest asset. You've got to invest in yourself. And part of that is enjoyment of life along the way. This whole notion of retirement means to take out a service. So that's the definition of retirement. Who's excited to get taken out of service? I mean, the quickest way to death for healthy people is to stop working because you lose purpose, you lose control over earning money, and it's hard to spend time with relationships if you're worried about if interest rates or inflation or taxes are taking too much of your money. People stop doing the things that they said they were going to do all along in their life and miss out on memories along the way. So set up a lifestyle account. So we're at the bank, set up two accounts, a wealth capture account and a living wealthy account. And you take a small percentage of your income, I don't care if it's 1%, 2%, or 3%, and start funding your living wealthy account, and here's the rule. Anytime money's in there, you can spend it on whatever you want to, not based upon what someone else says is a good expense. If someone else says it's a waste to fly first class, but you love flying first class, fly first class with the money that's in that account. If you love nice clothes, if you're a foodie and you love great restaurants, if you like nice cars, use that money to upgrade your lifestyle and enjoy things along the way that is absolutely critical. I call that value-based spending. All this helps you defeat the, the myth of budgeting. Budgeting is about constraint and no one shrinks their way to wealth. So budgeting gets us to think about what we can cut out and what we can eliminate. But the thing is, value creation is the catalyst in the world that creates exchange and it's exchange that creates wealth. Therefore, dollars follow value and budgeting squashes value. So don't budget things out of your life that are important, like investing in yourself. Like if you bought Hal's book and that helped you to start a ritual that allowed you to be a more productive individual, that $20 was maybe if it wasn't in the budget, but what does it add to your life by doing it? I want you to think in production, not reduction. I want you to think about improving your life, which is this living wealthy account. And Hal, as you know, one of our expertises is helping people find where they can save on tax, save on interest, save on insurance costs, all these areas, so that they can fund these accounts without having to constrain, defer, delay lifestyle today. I love it. I love it. That is something that, you know, what you're talking about right now, I think that we have this with that scarcity mindset. I know I used to have that. Uh, what, what book did I read years ago? Secrets of the Millionaire Mind that first kind of got me to think about, like, I got to take a percentage of money and, you know, pay myself first, right? It's been said for mm -hmm. who knows how long. But at that time, it was when I money was very, very tight, and I thought, "Well, I can't afford to do this." And uh, I, you know, I finally kind of took the advice that you know, it's you, you've got to, you know, the habit of here's I think the, the the lesson is that the habit of managing your money, the way Garrett just talked about, is far more important than the amount of money you manage. Right. right? So developing the habit, and I heard Garrett, you said whether it's. 1%, 2%, 3%, right? I mean, can you, let's say you put 1% of every check that you get, every dollar that you get into each of these accounts, so 3% total. Can you live off of 97% of your income? Yeah, even if you're 
right now in the hole and you're not making up to support your lifestyle, well, it's worth it to make 3% less to develop this habit of building wealth, of, of, you know, of capturing your wealth in your wealth capture account, like you talked about, creating wealth in your wealth creation account, and then the lifestyle living wealthy account. You know, if you want to be a millionaire, you got to have the mindset of a millionaire. And millionaires, they don't stress about every dollar. They actually enjoy their money. And I think every person on this planet, we deserve to enjoy a percentage of the money that we work so hard for. And, you know, maybe right now it's, you know, it just means that you get to go out to dinner once a week or, you know, once a month or, or whatever. But it's something where when you're there, you're like, I earned this and it just feels good. And then you start to associate good feelings with earning money. And it shifts you from that scarcity mindset to that abundant mindset. So Garrett, uh, all right. So we've got three philosophies. We've got three strategies. Um, what else, man? What, what else would you like? I mean, you know, I know we could talk for hours on, on money. I just, in, any other ideas or strategies or things that you're doing with your clients right now to, uh, uh, you know, to, to grow their, you know, income, to grow the money that they have, anything at all money related? Well, I help them to, to view this whole concept of living within your means in a different way. When people here live within their means, they have kind of knee-jerk reaction. And you might not still have the same one because we've been working together, but what do you think most people think of when they think live within their means? Uh, again, it's budgeting, cut out expenses, you know, cut the cable bill, cancel this, cancel that, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's what most people think. But there's two other ways to live within your means. One is to be more efficient. Have the right structure with your insurances so you save money there. Get better interest rates by improving your credit score and renegotiating the interest rates. Save on taxes by getting more proactive with your strategy. Find the hidden fees and commissions. Just get more efficient with your money and put more in your pocket. Or the game-changing thing is to expand your means. Mm. Think of ways that you can earn more by delivering more value. And it's simply this question. How can I impact the people that I'm reaching right now at a deeper level? Or how do I reach more people, therefore impacting more overall, and that is really the way that we earn money. That's the simplistic version of it. But that's, you know, if we can get people to think in that way, not that they're going to save themselves rich by pinching pennies so they get blisters, yeah. not that they're going to shrink themselves to wealth, but it's all through production, through value creation, through serving others, and through solving problems, and through getting ultimate clarity with their vision, because vision is the rarest of commodities. And if we get clear vision, people will follow those with vision, and vision drives value and dollars follow value. So it goes back to that equation. We want to facilitate exchange. If you facilitate exchange because you provide something so value people exchange money for it, you're going to be wealthier. The wealthiest people in the world didn't get there because they saved themselves rich. I used to follow that advice of the millionaire, millionaire next door, living so cheaply that I had 14 rental properties and lived in a rental myself. I... Uh, you know, I didn't buy any new clothes for the first three years out of college. And I got married shortly after college. I didn't even buy new clothes for my wife, even though she was a teacher. And her mom had to buy her new clothes because she didn't have appropriate clothes to be a teacher. I mean, it was like I was so plagued by scarcity, I was going to become a broke millionaire, just like Ebenezer Scrooge. And there's a <laughs> lot of people that get in that mindset of double coupon clipping and saving on the cable bill, like you mentioned. And yes, that's an okay practice to do every now and again. But if that becomes the main way you view the world, you miss out on the richness of life and the value that you can bring and the gifts that you deliver to this world that have the most riches awaiting for you. So that's the key. Refine your skills, increase your ability to deliver value, impact people in a meaningful way, and you'll make a lot more money doing that rather than just cutting things out. 
I could not agree with you more, and I could, you know, I, I feel your passion, Garrett, and I feel just as passionate. You know, don't play small. Like, you weren't born to play small and, and pinch pennies. Like, that's not it. In fact, I've always refused. I've never budgeted my whole life. I refuse to. I thought, I'm always going, and, and I like the way you put it, expand your means. I, mine was very you know, generic and simplistic of I'm going to make more money, right? It was always, right, if right. I was, if I was struggling financially, it wasn't, I'm going to pinch pennies. I'm going to budget. It was, I need to find a way to add more value to the world, to my clients, to my customers, to the marketplace so that I can generate more income, you know? And I, th I think that that philosophy of uh, it, not only it, that will it, you know, give you a, a better lifestyle, but it will help people along the way, right? The more people, Zig Ziglar said it really well that, uh, you can have everything you want in life. You help enough other people get what they want. So fantastic. Is there any, uh, any closing piece of advice, Garrett, that you have, uh, you know, and it could be it, even not money related, just goal achieving related, but any, any right, what I call a writer downer, the best yep. piece of advice, quote, mantra or guiding principle that's helped you that can help our listeners. If we're talking about goals, this has been the game changer for me. Look at every area of your life, whether it's your character, whether it's your intellect, like, I, I love this program, Lifebook, mylifebook.com. And they have an introspect assessment. And I go through it, 12 categories, I took it. When I took it, I found out there were two areas of my life that were lower or average, and every other area was above average. So the two areas at the time were my marriage and my health. And I was like, okay, well, let me take the area that I'm strongest in. And at that time, I'm looking, it was definitely in my business. My business is rocking and rolling. Things are going good. Hit New York Times, Inc. 500. I'm going, awesome. What am I doing in my business that I'm not doing in my health or my marriage? And what I found was we all have our own success formula. And so I, the success formula that I discovered, for me, it might be different than it would be for you, Hal. We all kind of have our own things that matter. But like some of the rules I found is I pay attention to that which I pay for, and I'm walking to grab my success formula because I have it right here. Hmm. Um, so what I found was I always was, I was hiring people at some time to, to achieve more. So what I did in my health was very simple. I hired a, a trainer, you know, and a nutritionist. And then in my marriage, I hired this guy, Dino Watt, for business and marriage. And I started doing meetings with my wife in person with this guy twice a month. Okay, I put money into it. It started making me pay attention to it. I got people that had expertise. And, I, and then I was like, okay, so that's part of it. The other thing is I always had de declarations of outcome and commitment. So in my business, I know I'm, what I get up every day to do is get one million entrepreneurs to economic independence. That is my life's mission. But I didn't have a life's mission in my health or in my marriage. So I had to have a vision in my marriage to say, I want to be a premier romantic and an extraordinary husband. And now I had some vision to gauge, what does it mean to be a premier romantic and an extraordinary husband? So I had vision now. I was paying people. I started to read books in both health and reading books in both my marriage because that was part of my success formula in my business. I was always reading books. I started to associate with other people that edified the highest degree in any area that I was trying to achieve. So I said, who are the four people that have the best marriages in the world that I know? And I invited them to spend time with my wife and I. I asked them about their best practices, you know, and then in health, I put together an accountability group. Who are the four healthiest people that I know that we can get together once a month and share best practices? So, you know, I, I, those are just a couple of the things that, that I do as part of my success formula. Books, audios, and events, written vision. I schedule rhythms and habits with clear outcomes. So meaning I have space in my calendar every single week 
where I'm working on these kind of things. I think you've heard me talk about I do weekly meetings with my wife, mm -hmm. you know, and then um, teach others. I start talking about to others because then it has me kind of develop it further. And then I just I just start with honesty because all progress begins with honesty is what Dan Sullivan says. And done is better than perfect. So I just focus on progress over perfection and focus on my results over my reasons. And uh, that's just a little bit of my success formula. Everyone has their own. Any area you're struggling in, look at what you're not doing in that area that you're doing in the areas that you're excelling in and add those missing ingredients and you'll get huge results. Garrett, I am, I'm speechless. If you're listening to this interview, uh, I would go back and listen to it again and I would have the pause button close at hand and I would have the rewind button close at hand and I would take notes. I mean, just so much value. As I heard Tony Robbins once say in an interview to Eben Pagan, uh, listening to you, Garrett, is like drinking from a fire hose of value. So thank, well, thank you, thank you, Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed our relationship. Love that you're getting people to do something that we, we've done this thing called a power hour in our, in our organization, and you just took it and skyrocketed it to another level. But we've seen people get results doing exactly what you teach. And make no mistake about it, it's especially important during tough times. Especially important because it gives me a shield of abundance, pings off the scarcity, and allows me to invest in myself, which, once again, I'm the greatest asset. It doesn't take money necessarily to do a miracle morning. So thanks for your commitment and for the standards that you've set and for your friendship and relationship and always looking to create value in my life. Dude, uh, feeling is mutual, Garrett. You're, you're welcome and, and, and thank you for all of the same. Uh, goal achievers, I, I want to close with some parting words. And I, I don't, this is actually the first time I've done this. I usually wing my, uh, the end of the podcast and I just say, ah, oh, goodbye, da, 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 da. And I kind of fumble through it. Um, but I really thought about today's interview. I know it was really important with, with Garrett. I knew he was going to bring a lot of value. And this topic of money, I want to just close with a few words and, and a few thoughts on why you deserve to be rich, wealthy, abundant, or, or whatever term resonates with you. You know, unfortunately, most people, the people that would do the most good with a large sum of money are often the same people who have the biggest hangups about making large sums of money. You have to embrace that you deserve to be as wealthy as you choose to be. And that the more money you have, the more you can use it to help others, those you love and people in need. And often I realize that those are probably some of the same people. But I would go as far as to say, at the risk of offending some people, that it is our responsibility to do everything in our power to build significant wealth so that we can not only provide financial freedom for ourselves, but so that we can contribute to those we love and help those who are unable to help and prov provide for themselves. And this starts with actively embracing that you are just as deserving of extraordinary wealth, health, happiness, and success as any other person on this planet. You have to know that in your heart. You have to believe it. You have to affirm it every single day and then take the necessary actions today and every day to create the extraordinary life that you deserve to live. And that includes the wealth that will give you the freedom to do what you want and the ability to help others do the same. Garrett, before we say goodbye, where can people get a hold of you if they want to say hello, reach out, hire you as I have for your awesome service? Wealthfactory.com is our website. There's some killer resources, including a cash flow guide to inject more cash into your life without having to work harder, without having to cut back without having to take more risk, just having a different set of eyes and some of our expertise. 
to put that in your life. And there's even if you dig around on the site, you'll find some of our investing tools to help you be a better investor and, and avoid risk and do true due diligence because that's hard to find in the world of finance. So that's probably the best site for people to go to and check out and uh, look for my book. It's not out yet, but budgeting sucks. I, I'm definitely coming out with that book. Just finished the manuscript. So excited. I really feel like it's revolutionary and I think it's going to be even better than the New York Times bestseller, Killing Sacred Cows. So Nice. When does that come out? Because this, this actually interview might, yeah, when does it come out? Well, it, that's a good question. Uh, uh, yeah, right. That is a great question. Uh, As an author, that can be, depending on the stage you're in, that's a hard question to answer. So yep. we'll keep, keep, keep an eye out for it. Budgeting sucks. And everybody, you, go to wealthfactory.com, literally. Like, I, I cannot think of any good reason that you wouldn't at least go to wealthfactory.com and get the free resources uh, with Garrett. As I said, I, I vouch for him. I'm not an affiliate. I don't get a percentage of money from Garrett. I mean, I, I really believe in what he does and he's helping me and my family to create economic independence. So Garrett, uh, one, you can check one more on your mission of empowering a million entrepreneurs to, uh, to achieve that. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Goal Achievers, I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Take care. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. So now we want to know what were the big strategies that you're taking away? What were the ones that really resonated with you on those strategies to create wealth? Simply head on over to hellelrod.com forward slash 098 for episode number 98. And just leave a comment there on the show notes page, letting us know what those strategies were that really resonated with you and that you're going to start implementing in your life right away this week. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by click by going to hellhour.com slash iTunes, clicking the little subscribe button, and then leaving a rating and review because rating and reviews are truly the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because they help other people find out about us and decide if this is the podcast for them. And if you haven't done so yet, I highly recommend that you go over to bestyeareverlive.com and find out more information about the Best Year Ever Blueprint Live event. We only have a couple more seats left. Yeah, it's, there's a good chance that we might be completely sold out by the time you head on over there. So be sure to get your tickets today by going to bestyeareverlive.com. And now it's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals. looking to grow your business using podcasting but don't have the time to edit the audio insert the intro and outro write up the show notes post the episode to all the different sites and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required then you need yourpodcastguru.com where you bring the content and we take care of the rest we'll even co-host the show for you visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world